All right. Let's go to Luke 14. I want to talk about this. But, but I also want uh, you to take a minute around your table. What was your Sunday like growing up? Okay. Were there rules and regs on Sunday? Uh, were there things that you couldn't do? Uh, I, I can't wait for Rhonda to tell her table about things she couldn't do on Sunday. Any other day of the week, but not on Sunday. Um, uh, was there things that your family did on Sunday when you were growing up besides going to church? Was there anything they absolutely couldn't do, didn't do, and why or why not? Okay? Take a minute and talk about that around your table. All right? All right, dude, I'm really curious to hear a couple of things about how your Sunday went. Now, here's what I want to give your permission, all right? Uh, maybe, unlike myself, maybe you didn't grow up in church. Uh, I get that. Joe was telling me the story about his mom took him to church. She stayed, but she wasn't a believer. I think that's pretty incredible, actually. Um, uh, my, my growing up years, church was an all-day deal, uh, uh, even when we started the church uh, in the city, we helped start the church in the city, um, it was kind of an all day long thing. You know, you went in the morning, you went in the afternoon, in the evening, and then there was probably something in between, uh, committee meetings or whatever. Um, I, when I first grew up, we were, uh, when dad helped start the business, uh, we were still driving back to Paul's Valley on ch for church on Sunday. So we were gone all day Sunday. Um, and so just kind of, you got used to that. Um, Rhonda, I've, I've got to have you tell us what you couldn't do on Sunday, because you've talked to me about this uh, for the last, you know, 40 years. So what? Grew up in Alabama um, in a very strict Nazarene church. Thankful for it, because kept us out of trouble. But on Sundays, we could only read the Bible or the church manual. We couldn't read a newspaper. <laughs> the dictionary, the telephone book, nothing, because that was considered secular, and we had to take a nap, but I could watch football on TV with my dad. <laughs> I, you know, one of my fond memories is the only day I read the... Uh, uh, the funny papers was on Sunday because they were in color on Sunday. Do you, you remember that? They weren't through the week, but they were on Sunday. Um, uh, and I remember my dad, the last thing uh, every Sunday, he would read me the funny paper. And uh, he would change a lot of the words. I'd say, Dad, that's not what that said. And, uh, but but, um, uh, I, but I, I hate that you missed out on getting read the funny paper on Sunday. Yeah. What, what else? What else? What'd you do? What was your tradition on Sunday? Somebody else want to? We never did this, or we always did this. Dad always took a big breakfast. Oh, that's nice. While we were at church. Okay, while you were at church, <laughs> so you came back to a big breakfast. I came back to a big breakfast. Well, that's not a bad memory, though, Dan. You know, it's not bad. Okay, what else? Yeah, Michael. Like you, most of my family was in a choir. <coughs> <laughs> it, 
It was, but it was, it was a feast. It just, mom made you eat the vegetables. Uh, I had, have a dear friend who's now in heaven. Uh, Joe, you and I have a mutual friend who, um, uh, the first time I took him to my mom's house for Sunday dinner, you know, my, my mom was the kind that would fix 15 different things for just us. And I, I don't really, uh, yeah, it's just a thing. And Bill would say, uh, he'd show up at my mom's table and say, who else is coming? And, and I'd say, that's just us, man. And I mean, just, you know, serving you one thing after another. But it was all good, Michael. Oh, yeah, it was a feast on Sunday. Yeah. And then you'd eat leftovers for a day or two, and you were good. But uh, anyway, yeah, Doyle, I'm curious. <laughs> you, you never ate the peas. Yeah. Okay, all right. I always had trouble lining them up on my knife. You know, that was just, yeah. All right. Well, isn't it interesting? Uh, yep, Jan, I'm curious. Oh, wow. That's quite a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, she would give the three of us, I had a cousin and my, my little sister, she would take a chiclet. A chiclet? Just one. And bite it in thirds. <laughs> and give each one of us that. And that, that was our entertainment. That was our bride to be quiet. That was as good as it got in church, oh, okay. Yeah, right. And if we got noisy, oh, yeah. inches. We didn't have iPhones to sit and watch. Oh, there you go. Yeah. While the preacher was preaching. Yeah. We had a piece of, a tiny piece of gum. <laughs> a third of a chiclet. That's a tiny piece of gum. All right. So uh, we're going to talk today about tradition. Now imagine if uh, your parents made any of those traditions a law. And instead of following the Bible, you began to follow the tradition as the law instead. In fact, to a degree, the tradition superseded the law. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Let me give you just a little bit of background on this. Um, uh, this is the, this is, there are three occasions in, in Luke that Jesus shares a meal with the Pharisee. Now, we looked at one last week, right? Uh, from chapter 11. We're in chapter 14 today. Um, uh, all three of these interactions share kind of a common pattern. Here we go. Um, first of all, Jesus was invited uh, to join the meal. Uh, second, um, there were, in each of these stories, there was a tense moment um, between Jesus and the host uh, that led to conversations regarding uh, spiritual truth and, and um, uh, how to follow the Lord. Um, uh, um, uh, interesting to me, um, uh, that pattern happens in all of these. Now, um, um, the issue today uh, that's going to come forth is this issue of what I can do on the Sabbath. Now, isn't it interesting that you and I have adopted, or maybe our parents adopted, some Sabbath-like uh, principles 
no reading the funny paper on Sunday, um, that were, uh, they're Sabbath principles, but they were on Sunday, not Saturday. So early on, uh, the church, when the church was entirely Jewish, the church um, met on Sunday because that was the Lord's day, the day of resurrection. But they were also observing things on Saturday, which was the Jewish Sabbath. So it kind of makes some sense that would, they would carry some traditions over to Sunday uh, in, in subsequent um, uh, centuries. And so we picked up on some of those things. And we added some to them. Um, uh, remember when grocery stores weren't open on Sunday? And that kind of thing, okay? Uh, you still can't buy a car on Sunday at a car lot. So those are called, I think they're called blue laws. Anyway, um, so that kind of thing. But uh, today, uh, so the Jewish Sabbath was established based on the day that uh, God rested after six days of creation. So I want you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy 5. And what I want to say is, here's the law. Okay, here's the law. Deuteronomy 5, and I'm going to start at verse 12. Okay, basically, here's the law. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, by the way, the original law was in Exodus 20, in the part of the Ten Commandments, and it started out just like that. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Don't you know that the people who were slaves or servants loved Saturdays because they, they didn't have to work. Um, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. That's the law. Okay, now when we get into what we're going to get into today, it's like, Okay, now, where did that come from? That's the law. And there's, there's some other nuances to it. But basically, it's not much more nuanced than that. Rest on the Sabbath. Worship on the Sabbath. Remember on the Sabbath. Keep it holy. That's kind, kind of the thing. Now, um, so defiance of these commands brought harsh consequences, including death, which I find interesting. Uh, you can read about that in uh, places like Nehemiah and Numbers and Jeremiah. Um, the, the Israelites understood the Sabbath to be a delight, a good thing. Um, uh, and that like, for, like Psalm 92 was a psalm that was only to be sung on the Sabbath. There, were, there was just special things about the Sabbath. By the first century, so by, what we're gonna, by the time that we're going to read uh, from Jesus' life in, in Luke 14... Uh, a lot of expectations regarding proper adherence of Sabbath had been uh, established by Jewish religious leaders. In the time between the Testaments, so in that four or five hundred years between Malachi and Matthew, there was a tradition uh, that was uh, written and began to be adhered to by um, Jewish scholars called the Mishnah. It was... Uh, uh, it began as oral tradition and later written down. Um, and these included really kind of uh, nuanced definitions of work as well as complex regulations regarding what was allowed and not allowed on the Sabbath. 
Such intricacies, the, the intricacy of it all, made it challenging for most first century Jews to accurately interpret how they should observe it. What you need to know before we get into the story is Jesus never disputed the importance of the Sabbath. I wonder why. Because God said, remember the Sabbath day to make it holy. His father said, remember the Sabbath day to make it holy, right? Uh, he had a high regard for the Sabbath. Now, you're in Luke, but I want you to go uh, one book back to the book of Mark. I want, I want you to get uh, the, the essence of this because this is going to set the pattern for it. Mark 2, okay? Mark 2, and I want you to listen to verse 27 and verse 28 in Jesus' teaching. In my Bible, these words are in red. That means he said them. Now, here's what he said. Uh, he's talking about, uh, actually, let me go back to 25. Have you not read what David did when he was in need and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, that makes perfect sense to you and me. That the Sabbath was made for us to rest. The Sabbath was made for man and not for the Sabbath. And then he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He proclaimed the right to be the Lord of Sabbath day. So he could reinterpret its rules, even though they'd gotten way outside the banks by the time he arrived. Okay, so that's kind of the setting. Now, Steve Blair, I hope I've set you up well. Okay, uh, you remember that Jesus' primary target for you and me was to, to demonstrate love and mercy in our lives. And something's going to happen here that will challenge that. Steve Blair, I'm going to have you, if you would, read the whole story, verse 1 through 6 from Luke 14. A lot said, six verses, right? Now, let me, let me ask a couple of you to read. Uh, John, can I get you to read 530 and 1138? Just, just in a second, we're going to read other instances of what he's doing um, from Luke. Luke 530, Luke 1138. And then I need somebody to go to John 2 and read verse 23, 24, and 25. Karen, that'd be great. Can I get somebody else to go to Luke 16 and read verse 14 and 15? Luke 16. Thank you, Sherman. That'd be great. Now, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's been there for a bit. Um, as a rabbi, he had taught in one of the synagogues there. And again, he was asked to Sabbath lunch by a, Pharise a Pharisaic leader. How do I know that? He's identified here 
as a prominent Pharisee. How does it say it in your Bible in verse 1? I'm sorry. A prominent. In one translation I read, it calls him a leader of the Pharisees. So this was maybe a San, Sanhedrin member. I mean, this was a big shot. And, um, and he invites uh, Jesus um, to the table. Now, uh, what would typically happen in that kind of a scenario uh, is uh, the host, having invited the teacher of the day, now remember Jesus has already been teaching, would invite the teacher of the day, and at some point during the meal, he would pop a question. Rabbi, um, uh, what do you think about this? And as they were uh, digesting their meal, they listened to the rabbi a little more, talk about what he thinks about this. And, uh, and there would be a little, probably, discussion of that. That's kind of the scenario here. Well, um, um, Pharisees here were experts in the law, but they were even more experts in their own tradition. Um, but they had met their match in the mind of Jesus. He knew the law backwards and forwards, standing on his head. And he knew about their tradition as well. Uh, especially regarding Sabbath observance. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about who the guests were, who, who else was at the table. Uh, John, can I get you to read 5.30 and read 11.38? Okay, now think about that. Why do you eat with people who are like that? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a word here in a minute that will go in your blank, but I want you to think about it. Why would you eat with people that are like that? Okay, uh, John, read 1138. Now, this was last week, remember? He didn't wash his hands, at least not enough to satisfy them. That was, again, not in Scripture. That was not in the law. That was in tradition. So the guests would be those whom the Pharisees deemed to be, here's the word, clean. Clean. They wouldn't invite those, necessarily, who were not clean. Um, and, and as we look, kind of go on to verse 2, uh, Timing was everything. Uh, they had prepared the meal on Friday, early on Friday, because the Sabbath day began at 6 p.m. on Friday and went to 6 p.m. on Saturday. So they couldn't do any prep of the meal. I, I did some reading this week on how elaborate it was. Um, uh, you could do some things to keep whatever dish that you were going to serve hot, but you couldn't make it any hotter because that would be work. Isn't that interesting? And they talked about all the things you could wrap it in to, to maintain the heat, uh, including uh, uh, toe sack material, you know, toe. Uh, they could put it in that. You could put it in, in a grape leaves. You could put it in other things. But be sure it didn't get hotter in whatever you put it in because that would be work. So there was all kinds of elaborate preparation that had to take place on Friday. Um... And all these clean people then would be invited to this clean Pharisee's house. And another guy was there. 
Who was he? Uh, interestingly, was he invited? Was he an interloper? Okay, was he a guy that just wandered in off the street? Which, I don't know, I got a little problem with that. Don't you? Knowing kind of what we know? That the Pharisee would have said, hit the bricks, pal, I think. Especially knowing that he was diseased, and we'll talk about what he had going on, that he was obviously diseased. So my only conclusion is, and I think most will agree, that this was probably not an uninvited guest. This was an invited guest, but he's, he is what I will call, and you can put this in your blank, an arranged plant. He was put there for the setup. Okay, How sad is that, by the way? Can you imagine this guy who probably wasn't invited to many of these kind of things, being at you know leaving the synagogue that day if he was physically able to be there, and the Pharisee says, uh, "I want you to come home with me for lunch." Can you imagine thinking, "Wow, why me?" And not realizing that he was a plant. Okay. Now it's interesting that the word uh, um, uh, one commentator I read I, I'm not, I was unable to find this in the word work. But the word that, that is used for they were watching him it carries with it the same idea of espionage. Watching for you to make a mistake. How would it be to every, life, every day of your life to want to do good things but everywhere you go with everything you do there's somebody there watching for you to say the wrong thing, make a misstep. That was Jesus' entire adult existence. Did you know that? What may be the miracle in this is that Jesus didn't call down terror on every one of them out of frustration. I, I think I would have a low tolerance for that. Would you guys just go on or when he realized what the setup was, can, if it were me, I would probably say, um, sorry, I I'm, suddenly am not hungry anymore. And I'd take off. Guys, you're coming with me, right? So, um, now, let's talk about just for a minute what his condition was. Modern medicine would treat this guy's condition with probably some kind of a diuretic. And it would probably be fairly well taken care of. Uh, depending on what translation you're reading, it may call this, um, what does it call it in your Bible in verse 2? Edema. edema. Uh, Rhonda, I think of pitting edema. I think that might have been close to what the guy the guy had uh, edema. It's interesting that they, they pulled a modern medical term into your Bible. Uh, one of the translations I read said excessive swelling. Uh, the New American Standard uses the word dropsy. I'm not real sure that's a word we use much anymore. But it has to do with uh, probably cardiac output and, um, and uh, uh, an excessive swelling that comes from um, uh, your heart not performing the way it should perform. Um, uh, if you've ever had trouble, of, as I've had occasionally, nothing, nothing um, uh, 
to be worried about, but occasionally I'll try to put my shoe on and it won't go on very good. And I'll look down and it looks like a miniature football. Okay, That's edema, I think. Am I close? Uh, it can sometimes come from or lead to uh, congestive heart failure. Maybe some of you have dealt with some of that. That's a really dangerous thing. And, but in, in modern days, that can be treated with um, uh, diuretics. Um, when my dad was really sick, I would take him to the hospital. and They would try to siphon some water off of him. And, <laughs> and my dad had a... An interesting way of expressing everything, but Harry, you remember. But um, he would put his hand up like this and say, help me up. Okay, what's going on? Uh, Dr. LASIK is calling, he would say. You know, uh, If you know what LASIK is, he would, he would need to go to the restroom. So. The, the Greek word here is shoedropicus. Shoedropicus, I love that. love that. Michael just coined a new term. That's good. Okay, so now... Uh, here's the setup, okay? There was a guy there that was obviously swollen. Um, we think he was a plant. And, um, and um, uh, the, the host, in uh, typical Pharisee fashion, um, says, um, uh, he just kind of got it set up there, and he was talking to them, and uh, Jesus says, so guys, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I, I love that. Okay. Now, we've, we've read the, uh, verse 3 through 6, so go with me to verse 3. three. Jesus' question concerns what was at the heart of the law of Moses. Jesus healed seven times in the Gospels on the Sabbath. Um. You get to thinking about this. Why was he not just beloved by those that he encountered like this? Why, why didn't they say, look what, he, look what wonderful things he does? But there were those who were so bound up in um, uh, their own thoughts and tradition. And so in this case, they came to instruct not to be instructed by the master. All right? It's just, it's a really, really interesting setup here. Um, uh, and Barclay's going to say, I, I, I find this interesting, that what was at stake here, um, or what they lacked, was a sense of proportion. What a great expression. What they lacked was a sense of proportion. Uh, so follow me here. What they lacked was a sense of what is meant by the law. What is proportionate to the moment. And what is not. How did Jesus know this? Now go, go if you would please with me to chapter 10. Uh, and just look for a second at chapter 10, beginning of verse 25. He gets an, 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 uh, another test like this. And he sa a lawyer stood up, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, What's written in the law? Uh, and so, you know, they go, go through this thing. Um, uh, 
that's where uh, Jesus ends up telling the story of the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke. But uh, Jesus answered, uh, uh, the, the man's answer is, he quotes from the Old Testament, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. There's that idea of mercy and love and affection for others. Um, so what was it in question here was this issue of mercy, the importance of mercy, a sense, as Barclay would say, of proportion. How I'm going to say that is, let's get first things first. What was the most pressing need in these seven miracles, healings that Jesus did on Sabbath day? What was the most pressing need was the man with the withered hand who couldn't work. What was the most pressing need was the woman who had, had been sick for years. What was the most pressing need is he goes to Peter's house. It's on the Sabbath. But Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, dying. First things first. So, look at verse 4. He asked them the question. What was the question? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What was their answer? Verse 4. Crickets. Speechless. They were speechless. They didn't have an answer for it at all. Now, um, uh, I put a lot of references in here. Let me, let me talk you through a couple of them. If you go back to Luke 4, if you go back to Luke 4, this is Jesus' first encounter in his home synagogue in Nazareth as a rabbi. And um, they recognize him as a rabbi. They say, would you like to read? And he takes the scroll of the book of Isaiah and uh, goes there to chapter 61. And he reads about it when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes... He will heal. He will set the captives free. And as he rolls the scroll back up and hands it back to the synagogue president, he says, by the way, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what the Messiah was supposed to do when he comes. Um, uh, he told them he came to heal. Um, Isaiah is going to tell about that in 61 and in 35. The world, uh, th that would signal the coming of the Messiah and the kingdom of God. He is here. Everything is different. Timing is everything. Look, look back a chapter to Luke 10. And I want to turn to verse 13 for just a minute. Luke 10, I'm sorry, Luke 13, verse 10. He was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath. There was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. She, bent, she was bent double, couldn't straighten up at all. It was obvious she was sick. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you're healed from your sickness. Because that's what the Messiah is going to do when he shows up, right? 
That's what the kingdom of God is like when it's, it begins. And it's begun. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again, began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. It's all about timing, isn't it? <laughs> Interesting. But Jesus is going to say, verse 5, that the law required people to help the lost on the Sabbath. I put some references there to different places where it talks about what he said. Now, wait a minute, he says, if your son was lost, or if your donkey was lost, or if your ox was lost, it's okay to go retrieve it, right? Again, they're speechless. I find it interesting. Now, um, uh, his question in verse 5 implies a yes answer. Wouldn't you? If someone was lost, if, if an animal was lost, retrieve them? What about a lost person? I read a story this week about um, a, um, uh, a guy that was a comedian by trade and he was so obviously a wise guy, and he kept a stethoscope in his car so that if he was stopped for speeding, uh, he would put the stethoscope around his neck and um, he would say to the uh, officer in charge, Officer, I'm a doctor. If I don't get to the hospital now, a patient's going to die. And he claimed he never received a ticket when he correctly used this method until the day that kind of mindlessly he was doing this, got stopped, and actually got off with a warning. But instead of a stethoscope around his neck, he hung uh, a set of jumper cables around his neck by mistake. <laughs> uh, time is kind of everything, isn't it? He asked them the question that implies a yes answer. All would agree that we're there. So why didn't he just wait till Sunday? Think about that for just a second. They're going to say in chapter 13, wait a minute, you healed on the Sabbath. Why didn't you just wait till Sunday? He was setting them up. Uh, well, I think the tables are turned, certainly. Why did he heal the man with dropsy on Saturday? Why didn't he just wait till Sunday? You ever thought about the timing of this? Because he was hurting. And because the Messiah cares. And he called you to care as well. Well, again, they're caught speechless. They refuse to answer. Likely, it's going to point to their collective humiliation. They're humiliated by the way Jesus hit. He always turns the tables, Ellie. Uh, so they're humiliated. Later, that's going to turn into hostility. And if you pick it up at verse 7 and keep reading, he's just going to start teaching again. Don't you love it? He heals the man. Um, uh, he, he takes care of the setup. He does exactly what they probably predicted he was going to do. But then he uses the, this very pregnant moment for his own purposes. Now, uh, I think this story is primarily about mercy and showing mercy. 
And when's the right time to show mercy? And I'm going to tell you the answer to that is at all times. But I think it's about something else, too. And that's where I want. So look at that kind of bold section at the, at the bottom of your page. Let me fill it in. You can trust God and his timing. Think about that for just a minute. You can trust God. You can trust his timing. It's, this story is also about God's timing. And I think the truth is that sometimes we want to tell God what to do and when to do it. Often we tend to limit our expectations of what God ought to do. So we want to kind of tell him what to do. And more importantly, we want to tell him when. The appropriate response, I think, trust God and care for his people in the meantime. Care for his people in the meantime. Yeah, Wayne. Uh, Mosaic law required people to help the lost. And I gave you the references to that. If, 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 if a donkey was lost, if an ox was lost, you're supposed to save it on the Sabbath. But a person as well. If it's your son, you're supposed to do the same thing. Yeah, that's the deal. Thanks for asking. All right, we're going to be in John 7 next week. We're going to continue this theme of um, the law of love and, what, and, and as it interacts, what Jesus is going to teach us about this. Thanks for hanging with me today, Glenda. Isn't it obvious? Yeah. 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 Why would you want to wait? Yeah. Thank you.